Today's episode is brought to you by Billabong's Revolution Natural Wetsuit. Join the natural revolution. Unlike most wetsuits which are petroleum based, the Revolution Natural Suit comes from 100% natural rubber. Believe this, one FSC certified natural rubber tree known as the Hevia Brasiliensis yields four natural wetsuits per year. Are you kidding me? Featuring Ulex Pure Natural Rubber sourced from FSC certified plantations, a graphene infused interior and airlight 4D stretch jersey made from recycled PET fibers. This suit provides the next dimension in stretch and sustainability. Mind dimension, mind dimension, next dimension. Join the natural revolution. Mad. Hey, uh, well, first of all, I'd like to say, and the ASP are going to find me, because I want to be a part of this fucking dumb wannabe tennis tour. You know, I think they got their, his testicles so far up their mouths that this is bullshit, you know? I'm not thinking about that right now. I'm just thinking about having won the world title and, and hopefully trying to win another one someday. You just drop in and just smack the whoop Drop down, say, bah! Well, I'll tell you, Stu, I did battle some humongous waves. Oh, that's the table thing? Oh, surf looks good, Ivan. Not bad. Ain't that swell with Jed and Vaughn. Oh, those guys are back! <laughs> Oh yes, Swellness Radio about to kick into gear and uh, as a special guest before we kick into the veteran surfers and find out a bit about their healing processes, I'm just going to chalk a bit of fat with me old mate Uncle Robbie. Robbie Page, Dungutty Country. How good has it been, mate? Dungutty's really good to us, isn't it? It is, it is. How are you feeling after uh, getting into the Swellness vibes? This is a really beautiful gathering of... um People with warm hearts that want the best out of life and want to bring everybody with them. No one's left behind, it seems like, in this camp. It feels like uh, we're on a pro surfing tour, actually, with a family that that's what the tour was like, rocking up into one hotel and there's a hundred of us there and we're all on and this is like that again. But what's good about this? No one seems to lose the heat. <laughs> when Everyone's you're on the tour, you got losers, you know. Like there's only one guy wins and 99 of us go on going, fuck. So... <laughs> Here we're all winning, and uh, it's pretty. It's pretty. I don't think there's a. I was just saying to Smitty before that um, the commodity actually is this group, and I believe that we'll go for government grants to bring this group all the way around the country because this is a light. This is a beacon. We can ho- they'll be able to hire this group out mm. on a government level to bring it into any fucking town and light the town up. Mm. What do you think of that? Well, I love that. I love that. I'm ready to go, mate. Can we get a gong up in here? <laughs> yeah, gongers. Gong, 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 gong. Mate, um, it was funny what you said then about the tour in the old days, you know, all travelling as one big family, uh, having a real sense of community. Like these days, that doesn't really happen a lot. Like everyone's on their own program. They're staying in their own hotels. They're not really a, as a group. And last year, uh, we saw a bit more Australian success on the back of all the crew uh, post-COVID, you know, travelling together and being uh, a family. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. um, you know... So much money came into the sport, but um, the family aspect did get lost. Mm. Nationally, it didn't. The Brazilians, with the Brazilian storm, they set the precedent of Warm Heart Collective, Mm. and that showed that no one could touch it. Um, The Aussies started to warm up again. But the phenomenon of this whole grouping thing, I think, is Jack Robbo. People aren't talking about it, but this is my writing. 
Jack Robbo is the first one welcome into the Brazilian storm. Governed, protected, mothered and fathered in Brazil under the Brazilian storm in that heavyweight game. And the fucker used it back on them all. Right. <laughs> so it's like, really, he's one Aussie that tapped into the Latino collective. And the Aussie collective hasn't been working for 10 years. Good on you, mate. Have a pie. It's fucking over. Mm. It's like, no, it's over. You can't just have a pie and a beer and go, it's all right. It's not anymore. Mm. You've got to help those people across the street. You've got to lend a hand. The hero ain't the guy that wins the contest. The hero is the guy helping that lady cross the street before his heat. So it's probably Fabio Gouveia. Fabio, you're the hero. He'd have a heat, lose his heat, and when you lose a heat, you go home and suffer. But he had to pick up his five children and go carry them down the beach. And we thought, there's no time for the, the die, you know. So I think, yeah, I think um, bringing everybody together warm makes it more fulfilling than just going to an event and surfing. And here, you know, last night, where were we? In Australia? I don't think so. I think I was in every other country but Australia. <laughs> You know, there are so many different people here. We went to Iraq. We went to Iran with the vets. Yeah. Yep. They took us there. They came back to tell us we don't need that. Mm-hmm. Let's go surf. So we've got to give love to those brothers. Oh, yeah. They're going to be joining us up on stage very shortly. Mate, um, yeah, but, I, I, you know, you said before, Mama Button, welcome you to this area. Um, that It does have a special power. I think it's uh, like the, the trench that runs up the coast. It's like the closest point of land to that deep water so there's like a lot of energy sort of transference and, and it's a real simple there. equation if you went out to uluwatu and there's no balinese out in the out at ulu how do you feel mm. you went into waikiki and there's no hawaiians how are you going to feel yeah. but you go into alamoana bowls and go out for a surf and there's 10 hawaiian families doing the luau you go i'm home here yeah. you know and that's what we want so because dungati nation is the last stronghold of massive indigenous culture and you know you couldn't poison our people here remember it was genocide poisoning until 67 you could basically shoot aboriginal people and uh poison all the waterholes so the fact that this strength in dungati's here do you notice there's no chip on anyone's shoulder in the indigenous community all they've got's loving and loving and gathering and they want to be together so all of us tribe here we're all running parallel to the original vibration and that's it so we are the new tribe. When I was in Malibu and Oxbow put on the longboard event, we would we'd pay for the Indian brothers and sisters of that country to come and do a ceremony. And they said, we are the new tribe. They pointed out the Indian, that's the old tribe. And this is the new tribe. And this is the water tribe. In fact, the water tribe are really holistically good, man. A person, when I paddle out in the water and I see, you know, someone out there in four-foot surf, I know he's been... That person has gone over the falls in one foot, two foot, three foot, four foot up to that and been caught inside, done it all. When you see someone sitting out there in six feet and eight foot, you've got to go, that person's done some good yoga and meditation to be here too. So if you ask me, I think the highest form of meditation and uh, yoga and kung fu is surfing. You know, you're catching a wave and you're in dream state going across a ten foot wave thinking you're unreal. Next minute, the thing's hitting the back of the head, trying to break your neck, and you're under the water. Zanning up. Don't tell me, do we do fucking meditation? I'm upside down. Zanning up. I'm not breathing either. I'm just asking God, can I come back up and have a breath? I've fucking been down here long enough. <laughs> so that pays respects to Dano and the boys, hey? Yeah. Yep. Dano, you go hard, mate. We love you for it. 
Yeah, mate. Yeah. Uh, you, we were talking about the big wave surfing thing uh, this morning. Um, you know, we had Lockie Rombouts up here, and there, yeah. there's plenty of charges in this crowd. Brett Birch is here, and a uh, yeah, few all, others. Yeah. And uh, yeah, tell us about because you you uh, really spent a lot of time sort of post those contest years getting stuck into it. You know, you had eleven foot fucking pintail guns that looked like uh, yeah, um, rhino chasers, and we all we all come here for mental health reasons. To like everybody wants to wash off the superficial that we collect each day and we usually go out for a surf, paddle into a, a big wave and that shit you collect on the land, it won't take off, will you? Hey, boys, <laughs> it won't go. you got to like, ah, dive over the falls because all that stuff's holding you back. Um, but yeah, what about like your journey through the big wave thing? Like what did you discover when you're out in that sort of ocean, that sort of just heaving? Well, I think, I think the big wave surfing we, we started here is Auss- Aussies. Hawaii in the day with that many amazing athletes there, the Mecca, I, I feel we got, I got my, what I call the quickening from Hawaii. You know, the speed of the water comes in so fast, by the time you see it stand up and break, you got two seconds before the white water hits you because there's no continental shelf. We've got a bit more time here. Um, and I think like all surfers that know, at the end of the day, surfing is the spiritual place that tames us all, calms us all, shuts us all up, throws us under. And it just seemed like a natural progression if you want to get to your truth and your purity. You paddle out when it's big and offer your soul to the sea, you know. A lot of us are scared, like even, you know, Richie said. Richie goes hard too. And no one, everyone's scared, but it's a way of um, keeping yourself constantly purified, I believe, taken off. There's a biblical quote, come to me naked, prepared to lose yourself to find me. Fuck, if that's not someone dropping into jaws at 50 foot and a pair of boardies, well, what is? You know, that's pure witness to me, man. Fucking drop down and say, hey, God, I hope you're with me because I'm going to get fucking flogged here. <laughs> How many times have you seen God, mate? The biggest time I've seen God, I'm actually, I'm the, for you legends out here, charge hard boys, I'm the first goofy to surf Mavs from Australia, right? So... If you want to know what surfing Mavs is backside, try and pick up a piece of paper with your toes and then try and pick it up with your heels. So it was 1999 and I'd lost a good brother. Mark Fuid passed away up Mavericks and Mark was a good friend. We surfed some massive waves together. And so 1999 going out to Mavericks, the, the first Aussie goofy foot, I was the third Aussie. Uh, Ross and Tony surfed Mavericks insane. So I was the first goofy going and... I stayed at Jeff's Clark, Jeff Clark's house thinking, you know, if you stay at Jeff's, you're going to have to take off, aren't you? If I'm not at Jeff's, I'm not coming out of the hotel. <laughs> so I got what they called 20 feet Mavericks at 22 seconds, and I had the biggest board in the world. I got a 10-9 made, and Peter Mel only had a 10-footer back then, and I was living in France. The water was way colder than Mavericks, so when I got to Mavericks, I'd never had the cold factor. Yeah. That really helped me. Um, I can see this ice story being the one, hey, get in the ice before you go out Doris Bommie, boys. <laughs> we just sit on the rack of my bus with ice, huh? Um, losing the story a bit. But, yeah, Mavericks. I got Mavericks at 20 feet, 22 seconds. Mark Fu died like four months prior. So going out to the cliffs, it was pretty, you know, when you, when you know the ocean's taken a few of your brothers, it's real. And you're not going there for any other reason than to purify your soul, I suppose. Um, so I got 20... 20-foot Mavericks at 22 seconds and I went out in the boat. I don't think I'd like to paddle it anymore because by the time I get out there, I'm like, oh, I'm going to fucking die. I'd rather get off the boat, have a joint and paddle straight into a bomb <laughs> and live or die. That's fucking it. 
I don't want to sit around for half an hour and then, you know, die 30 times before I take off. I'd rather just do the one. So I got this way. Peter Mel pulled back. And Mel's the guru, mate. But I had the 10-9 and I went. And my board, I dropped down and my board hit the water. And I came off and landed on my knees in a barrel like this fucking tent. And I'd never experienced my life. My body, my soul came out and went over there. And I looked at myself and said, this fucker's going to die. And then I came back into my body on my knees still inside this fucking 50-foot barrel. And I said, it's me. Like, I never experienced that. I came out and said, the guy's going to die. I went back in the body. He said, you've been there, boys. You know, right? I said, it's fucking me. And next minute, I was down. It, Mavericks breaks on the shelf. Here. But if you fall off on the takeoff, you go down here, down into that big hole. Yeah, they say it's an underwater cliff, right? So it goes. Yeah, it so pushes. this pinnacle goes out and the swirls, both sides, the water runs off and you will go 50 feet back down and you'll go from here to, I don't know, fucking a couple of Ks, but... I've lost a few brothers out there, right? Mm. I've lost Sion and Mark out there. And um, if you don't have a leggy on, I don't think you're going to come up if you go down on the thing. So here's me. I've gone down. I've had a lot. I've done 22 winners on the North Shore four months of the season. I've never experienced this in my life. So I'm down 20 feet on a 20-foot leggy upside down, flying around with my eyes closed for 22 seconds in the dark. Now, you imagine punching someone for 22 seconds. You're going to get hit fucking 120 times, man. 200 times. It seemed like I was there forever. And uh, the next wave that hit my board saved my life, actually. It brought me out of the dungeon, back up on the reef. Going down over the falls like that, like a, a, a fishing lure. And when I popped up, I had all my torn ligaments in my knee and I said, fuck yeah, I don't have to go out again. <laughs> Straight back to the boat, you know. <laughs> Straight to the boat. But for me, big how, waste. How did, that, uh, how did that second joint taste? Well, I think I had about 200 after that. But I think the moral to the story is, you know, it's, it is shamanism. If you ask me where I want to go and hang with who, I want to go and hang with those guys riding the biggest waves. I'll go and paddle out Mavericks and be the old guy, catch a shoulder hop 35-footer and go to the pub with the guys who are front-lining it and there's light beaming out of these fuckers' eyes. Probably like the, our vets that went to war, you know, the veil of superficiality is melting away when you're right on the line and they're just pure hearts running. So that's what I find. Big wave surfing is the opposite to ego. Nothing to do with it. You've got honest priests and priestesses there just trying to Wash off the wank and get back to the gold. Beautiful, Pagey. Fucking beautiful, man. Smivy, coming up. Guys. Smitty, Smitty on the burst, ladies and gentlemen. We've got the 5'8 turned inside centre. Have you guys seen that footage of Smitty, Smitty on the just burst? cutting that, that dude down? We've run it on Instagram every yeah. now and again. He just folds, creases this bloke in a, a park game of rugby league and he is a fucking bell ringer. Ball just goes flying out, and he's just then he gets. So up we're and taking gives, names. Gives him a bit of lip as well. We're taking names <laughs> for the swell, the swell footy team. <laughs> we're entering the comp with it all. So it's a good segue. Oh, good segue. Into, uh, our next section. So Smitty, I'm going to leave the table. Yeah, man. And let you guys prep to bring our brothers that went to war, and we love them brothers coming some down the line. Yeah. My word, we do. Yes. Tomarigato, Robbie Page, everyone. 
Ain't that swell radio, Spivy? No worries. Mate, um, before we uh, get into it, well done, brother. Yes, likewise, mate. Likewise. Well done to everyone here. We've all played our part. It's been so fantastic. Thanks to all our guests. Thanks to everyone who uh, yeah, made the effort to brave the rain and uh, heal with us. It was everything we feared it would be and it was everything we dreamed it would be all at once. So uh, it's just been such a magic time to share with you all. And uh, yeah, just keep the good times rolling. Totally, out. man. And, and full credit, uh, I just want to make the point that all of this, this whole vision, everything, uh, it's all come through the breath work and the meditation. We're just uh, like that straight up. We're just conduits. Uh, for what is being fed to us through the practices that we do and we do them every day and it's created this so I I don't take any credit for it Um, I would love to give credit though to all of our guests uh, instructors artists I mean all these people basically have donated their time Um, yeah not a whole lot of money's changed hands I mean we've lost thousands of dollars on this but that's uh, that's great you know I've Mate, I'm, I'm more than happy to invest uh, money, which is, you know, money's not money. Money is time. Money is life force and energy. And I'm happy to pour that back into this community with the goal that you guys all go home uh, and take what you've learned here back to your respective communities and put it into practice. That was the whole point of this. And that's fucking money well spent, in my opinion. It is, mate. And just in addition to that, I want to thank our team. Uh, they're around Louie doing the sound Aaron Gerges who was running the ship Coops Rushy of course got to have the support all our uh, beautiful friends and family um, Sweeney Corey and uh, Zaza what a legend love you Zaza where are you she's uh, facilitating all the guests making sure they were looked after getting them into tents without getting you know grass and wetness all over the joint <laughs> Uh, absolute legend and Mitchie for bringing the, the dumplings and stuff as well so team effort it's a, it's a small team but it's a valuable team and uh, yeah I think we'll all be back together for the next one one million percent alright let's uh, let's bring the lads up eh yep. these guys are definitely you know two of the, the most inspiring people I've met uh, during this summit and there's been a lot of inspiring people I've met um, you know not just our, our feature guests but just the people I've been connecting with uh, you know there's been Aztecs from Porto Escondido. There's been uh, blokes from Northern Ireland who grew up on the run from the IRA. You know, there's just everyone's got a story. Everyone's uh, been through their own hellfire in life. And uh, these two lads have definitely been through that. And we're about to hear uh, some stories from from the theatre of war. Um, So, you know, full warning about we're all, you know, it's been a big couple days. Everyone's potentially a bit tired and emotional um, and, and what we're going to hear now, I don't want to shade the experience too much, but it, it's going to be pretty full on. Um, and I uh, just, yeah, I just want to give all the boys all the support and, and goodwill and um, you know, just good listening that we can. So let's get him out, eh? Come out, Yes, boys. Uh, talk to us about the Swellness Summit. How's it been for you? It's been uh, absolutely amazing. First of all, I can't believe I'm sitting up here now <laughs> with some of the fucking legends who have sat up here in the last 24 hours. Like, it's an absolute privilege and honour. And on behalf of the veteran community, you know, thank you for everyone that's here and everyone we've come across and the connections we've made because 
you know, this is perfect. Like, and I wish there was more representation and hopefully next year we'll get some more dudes up here mm. and some of the girls have been, um, in the veteran community. Yeah, Can that's you guys the plan. just introduce yourselves and, and give us an idea about where you're from just before, uh, you know, you, you went into service? Yeah, so I'm Nathan. Um, grew up on the Central Coast. Um, I guess I discovered the ocean a bit later in life. Uh, I was a young teen, had no, um, I guess... Um, influence in what I want to do. I come from Housing Commission, everything else, and then, um, yeah, moved to Central Coast and joined the Army at the age of 18. So um, I've had a long career. Um, I only uh, departed or transitioned to February this year. So I spent 22 years Army. Um, a lot of tours, uh, six in fact, uh, multiple Afghan, Iraq, Timor, Solomon. So, yeah, that was um, a bit of a history on me. Yeah, I'm Ben. Uh, yeah, thanks again for having us. It's such a privilege. Um, I guess, uh, yeah, I was in the army for 11 years. Um, grew up all around the country. By age 10, I had made the choice to leave home. Pretty rough sort of home upbringing like Nate. And um, bound through foster care, boys' homes. And then so when I finished high school, at the, at the grace of the government paying for me to go to this hugely stupid fancy school which I definitely didn't deserve to be there but um, wanted to find that sense of brotherhood family um, mateship and then so I joined up the army and uh, yeah a lot of different experiences very similar to Nate seen a few things met a few wonderful people and here we are What's when you first get in there after you know um, traumatic childhoods or, or a sort of you know negative experience of you know, what's meant to be the golden years of your life. Like, what do you actually find with that connection when you first get there that's really positive? Like, what, what did you love about it? Uh, I'll go, it's definitely the mateship and the camaraderie. It's, it's tribal and we've spoken about it all weekend. Um, you know, we are a tribe and that's what the Defence Force and the Army offered me. Um, being infantry, we work in small teams, platoons, companies, you know, battalions. And um, over a long period, I initially only wanted to do my four years. I'm like, that's it. Or four years, uh, move on. Um, yeah, but I stuck around. Um, I just enjoyed it so much. Just getting to hang with the boys. You know, you did everything together. We got on the piss together. We worked hard together. We played hard. Um, and then operationally, when you go overseas, you're in that small team environment, you're looking out for each other and, um, you know, they look after me as much as I look after them. Um, yeah, so I guess that's a bit of a segue into, you know, operations. Um, Afghan was probably the big big one for me. Um, um, 2010, it was about my fourth or fifth tour overseas. Um, we took a big hit. Um, we lost six of our own members and I wear a bracelet every day for those guys. Um, and we lost a further three brothers in other units. And so nine soldiers in a matter of months. And that's a big, um, that's, that's, a, that's a massive um, number of KIA for Australians since Vietnam. So, um, but going into, um, I guess, further down the track, um, mentally I started breaking, but I didn't know at that time. My body was breaking down, my mind was breaking, but I wanted to take the easy options. I didn't want to deal with my traumas and issues and PTSD and everything else, which naturally comes after all that, all that service and all those trips overseas and losing mates, etc. Um, so I needed to connect again with my mind. Um, I had four shoulder reconstructions. My body was breaking, um, and I really had to tune into what I wanted um, with my career, and I knew it was coming to an end. 
Um, so I took drastic action and um, started getting, you know, suicidal thoughts. Um, I had a plan, knew what I wanted to do. Um, decided to take some tablets one day. Um, you know, didn't work, um, fortunately. But that, to me, uh, that was the easy option. I didn't want to address my issues. My mindset wasn't in the right place at that time um, with the physically and uh, mental injuries. Um, so moving forward again, um, yeah, come good, come out of it. Um, and I started connecting with myself. Um, and I guess uh, it was the ocean that kind of got me. Um, I went back to my roots, you know, started surfing again. Um, I formed a board riders. Um, so we were surfing every Thursday, part of work, which is great, you know get paid to go surfing um but i could see the mind change in the guys who were surfing um they'd go back to work and they were just you know you could see they were just so lit up and so productive and they were smiling and everyone was just enjoying it it was growing quite quite rapidly so yeah that was a transition for me out of the defense force after 22 years um mind and body started breaking um yeah and it was um it's the metaphor i use is everyone has a wipeout at some point and you know regardless you know professional um amateur um whatever you're riding everyone has a wipeout at some point and it's you've got two decisions you either paddle back out get back in the line out with a with a tribe potentially some mates or you go in sit on the beach and just you know feel sorry for yourself and that's the metaphor in life that i like to use it's you know we all take hits it's whether you move forward um or, you know, you can go sit on the beach and, and you know, withdraw socially. Um, connection is key. Um, and, you know, the water is just that – that is the place to be. That's where you find yourself. Um, and I think we, like, rely on those small teams, like, so much in the military. And until a certain point, we have those wipeouts, but we do it in a very intrinsic way. We, because if you share it with your mate who's potentially going through his or own shit too, uh, you're a burden. And then so we've developed this culture in the military where it's, where we're so disconnected largely a lot of the time with what's happening in the civilian world, in the real world. Yeah. And we choose not to connect with that because it's not our identity there. Mm. And then so when we leave, the, the defence force, as Nate sort of mentioned, that transition can be a really challenging thing, especially for the men. I've still got to be the man of the house. I've got to provide. I've got to be stable. I've got to do all these things that are, we've intrinsically just grabbed onto as, as men. And um, we put all that pressure on ourselves. So there's like sometimes a foundation of anxiety, PTSD, whatever it all is, and it's compounded by the fact of we can't identify an outlet to, to start speaking about that and start addressing those traumas. So we've got to go through this rigmarole process. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's difficult and that's why we love what we're doing now. Yeah, yeah Ben spoke just about transition itself and then um, when you move into the Defence Force, um, the Army is what I know, so that's what I can speak for. Um, it takes 10 weeks to transition a civilian. So anyone here, you know, you go recruiting, 10, 10 weeks later, you're a soldier. And 
depends on how long you've done. The longer you've done, the harder it is to transition out. So for myself, after 22 years, I knew nothing about the outside. I didn't even have a fucking Medicare card. So I'm like, how do I, how do I organize this sort of shit? The army's been looking after me all this time. So there's no transition process out. So that's why Ben and I, um, we run the association veteran surfers. So we fill that void and that gap for getting out. So you're not just kicked to the curb and we grab those soldiers, right? there and then and we don't give a shit if they surf if they just want to be around the ocean we'll connect with them we'll go for a coffee and um we'll be that first point of contact because otherwise they go into that social you know um isolation they just they socially withdrawn um they you know sit on their hands and don't want to do anything um so we just try and grab them early and get them in the water uh, even if it's just to have a swim uh, you know it it really helps them um yeah, that's why we set up Association Veteran Surfers. We've got the five chapters up the East Coast, um, Sydney, Newcastle, um, North Coast, Gold Coast and Sunshine Coast. So, um, yeah, we're getting a, a, lot, of, a lot of traction. Um, and, yeah, that's why we're here today, um, just so, you know, we can connect with you guys and, you know, hopefully see you out in the, out in the big world. Um, don't, don't be shy. Say hello if you see one of our shirts or anything. We're pretty friendly. Um, yeah. <laughs> Man, the, the trauma of war is one of the most virulent strains of trauma. Um, and, you know, I, I look at, you know, my, my great-granddad and, and granddad fought in the Great Wars or the Big Wars, and uh, I can actually still see that trauma rippling through the generations, through my old man into me. And um, I guess, you know, they say if you, you stop the cycle of trauma, you stop it for seven generations, uh, which is both, um, you know a nice thought to stop uh stop the pain leaking through for seven generations but it also gives you an idea of how hard it is to stop you know what are some of the uh, the healing modalities um or what have you guys learned about ptsd i mean what are the how does it happen um what can you tell us about this condition yeah i'll, I'll touch on quick um i think it's important to acknowledge that it's different for everyone um, and I think we were saying before, before this um, potty that everyone's their own expert based on their own experiences. You're all experts of your own experience and you know that and that's a beautiful thing because that's what makes us all who we are um, and it, it shapes us, right? Um, I think for us as veterans, there's a big process of denial for a lot um, and we continue to find band-aid solutions which are not the answer um you know tom's been talking about that sort of stuff in in that in the height of his career and stuff um finding the right support it's really easy especially as a guy to stay in that party scene and just you know live live the high life you know creating facades for yourself um <coughs> but um yeah, I don't know. PTSD is a really complex one, and yeah. I guess through ocean therapy is what how we're trying to address that, as opposed to a prescriptive way. I guess it's um that's again we come back to why we created um AVS veterans to support veterans. Um, it's when it comes to PTSD for me personally, it's about helping others, and I know you touched on it um in one of your readings yesterday about um doing things for other people, um and that gives me so much gratification. Um, but at the same time, I've got to be careful not to overflow my own cup by helping others too much and not taking that step back to, you know, bring it back to me just and be present. 
and then give it that way I can give more to others and that's that's the way I've dealt with my own PTSD is just to help others I, I really enjoy you know helping other veterans or anyone in general it just needs needs a bit of um clarity and perspective and um, yeah, it's compartmentalizing is that's that's the issue. If you pack shit away, it's going to come out in other ways when you least expect it. You know, you, it'll just nod away at you, and you know it'll come out, and you know in anger, frustration, or otherwise, you know, and and that's where we t- run risky behaviour. So you got to check yourself and don't compartmentalize it. And like changing that culture is such a difficult thing to do as well. Mm. It's a, it's a challenging thing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, coming from uh, like low socioeconomic, that kind of football, like toxic, uh, you know, that real macho realm, like stepping into this and doing, you know, breath work and meditation and yoga. I can remember, you know, the very first day almost that I did yoga and I just remember going, what the fuck? Is this you? Is this you? Kind of you seriously going to be standing there doing some weird pose? I was just so rattled by the whole concept of it. It was such a challenge to who I thought I was. Um, and, and that ego and that identity was so fixed and in place and those first few baby steps were so difficult. But fuck, I'm glad I'm t- I took them. Um, it's led to this place right here, right now. And it is a beautiful thing. And um, it's connecting all of us. In terms of, um, you know, you talk about that transition from military life into civilian life. Uh, and obviously, like, you know, everyone who's coming back from the theatre of war is, is basically going to have PTSD. Uh, wouldn't you like close to it anyway? It's pretty hard. I'd imagine pretty hard yeah. to go there and not just experience something seriously traumatic that's gonna shape the rest of your life. And uh, you know, PTSD. I don't know if you guys have read that book, The Body Keeps the Score, but it is like uh, such a radical uh, condition. Uh, it, the the hallmark of it biochemically is a lot of cortisol flushing through the central nervous system um, constantly every time you're triggered. You know, every time you, you have a, a blow-up or a, a schwitz, you, your whole central nervous system just loads up with cortisol, the stress hormone, which is carcinogenic in large amounts. Cortisol cancels serotonin, so you, you will never feel any kind of... Uh, you can't. If, you just cannot really feel happy um, when you're loading up with cortisol all the time. So you can do large tracks of time um, where you will never feel the sensation of happiness or contentment, and, and that will wear you down over time. And... Um, yeah, I guess, you know, in terms of transitioning, what does, what does the government, what does, uh, the Veteran Affairs Association, what do they prescribe? What do they, they offer you? Um, there's a lot of support out there these days. It's not like Vietnam era where the soldiers weren't looked after too well when they come home. There's a lot for us. You've just got to seek it out though. Um, in terms of PTSD, um, when I was first diagnosed, I had no idea. I just sort of come with a stigma, um, you know, like, shit, am I supposed to be waking up in the middle of the night screaming, running out the front, digging a hole and, you know, running from the enemy type stuff? It's not like that at all. To me, it's self-worth. Um, and that's where it hit me because the army had built me up so much and put me on a pedestal. I had a great career. Um, but at the same time, it chopped off at the legs like once they've done with you they're done with you that's it um so it is and it's adjustment as well on the transition out and there is no single pill for ptsd there's a pill for anxiety there's a pill for depression you know everything there's nothing so they tell for. you so, so they, they tell, tell you, you. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think there is i yep. don't think there's a magic pill for anything to that's be right yep. yeah and that's that's where i'm like okay now i need to get the mind right and it is it's combining everything good nutrition good sleep 
you know, mindfulness, you know, meditation, yoga. I love yoga. It's awesome. Yeah, so good for you. Um, just that movement is in the flow. It's just so good, good for the body. So if you can combine all that, I think that's probably the best thing. And there are a lot of going back to defense organizations out there who are there. They're there to help. But a lot of them are large businesses as well. So, you know, it's that's where we fill the void. You know, we're not large. We're not a business. Um, we just want to help people. Uh, yeah, you, you're not a business. You're a human being. Yeah, be a good fucking human. Organs right? and yep. needs, and <laughs> yep. uh, it, it's a sad fact that that war is a big business, uh, and man, there's a lot of money gets washed in the theater of war and, and through the the building of weapons, and then uh, it, it makes sense. You know, they'll they'll build you up and build you up and and, and tell you the you the man until uh, they're done with you and they'll just fucking chuck you by the curbside and you hear a lot of, of that particularly in America um, coming out of the states just how poorly their veterans are looked after there and I don't know exactly what the situation is here um, but in terms of some of the pharmacology of, of treating PTSD what are you guys aware of in that space I know uh, MDMA therapy has been pretty promising uh, I've undergone that myself and um, I know Gabo Mate, uh, we talked about him yesterday, uh, you know, one of the, the great kind of uh, doctors in the field of trauma. He's a big uh, proponent of ayahuasca um, and, and psilocybin and some of these plant medicines. Uh, uh, CBD oil, I'm, I'm sure, it has some great benefits for inflammation, uh, migraines, uh, anxiety. It's an anxiolytic, scientifically proven to help with anxiety. Can you talk to us about some of the, the pharma pharmacological interventions uh, and, and where they're at legally, I guess, too? Actually, I'm not 100% sure on where the legalities are at. Um, I can speak from my own experience and that of fellow veterans of mine that I've served with that have, um, have gone down the prescription route like I did and then have come back to receiving the knowledge about what is out there and the good talk that is going on. Um, had a, a good friend of mine that actually I went through all my basic training with and he became um, one of Nathan's soldiers and uh, deployed to Afghan very soon after our training. So when we're talking about the preparation that Nathan and I received before we went overseas, aside from the technical training, there was not a thing to warn us about. I think we had... We, I think we got one or two maybe lectures from an army-trained psychologist about what we might experience when we go overseas. That was amazing. You know, that was the job. And then before you come back from overseas, you fill out a two-page tick and flick sheet and then you're meant to do, you, and sometimes you slip through the system, a three-month checkup with your psych when you get home. That's the extent of the psychological support that we get either side. It's starting to improve. The military's made improvements there. But I think also touching back to sort of what that transition period needs to look like, it can't start with any one solution, whether it's pharma, you know, it's prescription, like alternative. It needs to start really holistically and look at the whole family because the whole family serves too. The whole family serves, not just that, that veteran. Um, they make the physical sacrifice, sure, um, but the family, they receive that emotional trauma as well. So our belief, I guess, is we should be looking at this a bit more holistically and doing proper case planning and case management for the transitioning veteran. 
So we go, okay, what's your plan over the next three months? Where do you see yourself? Just like you did when you're in year 10 and you were meant to know what you wanted to do with your life. Like, yeah. So I don't know. There's, I think any talk about anything is great because if it's not surfing, it could be horses, could be a therapy dog, could be whatever. So, yeah. Yeah, they call this, uh, I think they call it stacking is the, the term where you just stack healing modalities on top of each other and, and do it all in the same day uh, and day after day. And uh, over time, you will heal. You know, the, the brain and the body are amazing like that, their ability to regenerate. Um, but it really is a matter of stacking those healing modalities. You know, we've been doing it here basically. Meditation, Wim Hof, ice bath, movement, and then repeat in the evening if you can but the problem is you know the, the way our system is set up uh we don't have the time to do this shit um and i think that's uh, that's bullshit and that needs to change uh that there is absolutely no reason why we should be worked as hard as we are and you know let's be real there's, there's fucking billions of dollars just hidden in a cloud somewhere or a bank account or whatever the fuck you want to call it and uh that needs to be that that time and that life force needs to be given back to us so we can be given the opportunity to heal and, and, and that's what this summit is about. It's about creating that space and, and time and opportunity to do that work together. It's a lot easier when you share the workload amongst yourselves as you would have felt when you did the Wim Hof. Um, yeah, so, mate, I don't know if it's worth going into like, uh, but in terms of just giving people an idea, I mean, who haven't been to the theatre of war, like, you know, what it is that you ha you see and, and have to deal with there is that something that is worth talking about or like it's 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 totally up to you guys if there's if there's value in it i don't know if there is but um yeah i mean obviously no one in this room has has, has seen what you guys have seen and and i guess you can maybe give us an idea of what that is and maybe that'll have some value yeah so um when it comes to, um, I guess, different theatres, so I've done from peacekeeping right through to, you know, full-blown-out war where we're losing guys, shooting, you know, you know it's, we're engaging with an enemy. But when it comes to the peacekeeping stuff, you know, it's a bit more low-key. You know, we might be just walking down, um, down the street. And in every country that I've found, the one thing that is always the same is the children. So when... I've been asked, why did I choose to join the army? Why do I go to war? I don't get into the political sense of it. All right? I didn't do it for the, the government, you know. I did it for the people that I was working with, you know, my mates. But going back to that kid, every country, you've got two options when you're walking past a child. You can tell them to go away. Yep, like they, they become annoying. All they want is water and crayons and a lolly or something. Every country, no matter what. So... You've got two options there. In a place like Afghanistan, if you tell a kid, you know, go away, piss off, you know, empty, you know, that that kid, you know, 10 years down the track, he'll remember that. He'll remember that soldier that told him to go away and all he wanted was some water, you know, or, you know, just some engagement with a Westerner. If, if you take the time and give that kid just whatever he wants, a sip of water or a crayon, you know, Potentially, you could stop him from becoming, you know, um, an enemy insurgent or a Taliban, um, ISIS down the track, because he will remember that. He will remember that soldier 
that gave him the lolly, gave him the, the drink of water, and that could be the turning point because, let's be honest, Afghan went for 20 years. Um, you know, some of us, my child's 15. He's nearly old enough to fight himself. So, you know, that, that small kid could be fighting against my own child. So, and that's, that's why I did it. The children, they're just so beautiful in every country. And, um, and in terms of, you know, what we've seen, what we've done, yeah, some, some, some shitty stuff some real shitty stuff um you know watching your mates you know being shot being killed blown up it's not nice um but you know it always comes back to that that small child and why we did it so um that's my philosophy on it and that's that's what kept me going yeah it's um i think survivor's remorse is something that uh, survivor's guilt is something that is really common for us veterans um we feel that shit all the time um, I was telling a couple of the guys last night, sometimes Anzac Day and Remembrance Day, we sort of see that as the overall commemoration, but it's those individual days that we deal with where we lost good mates of ours. Um, and that survivor's guilt is a really big thing. And I think the fuck thing is that that's come out of my services, I've lost more mates of mine to suicide than I have in combat, which is so super fucked. Like... Um, and that speaks, I guess, back to the volumes of, you know, and actually the only time um, we often catch up as veterans is at fucking funerals. Like, that's so fucked up. I don't know any other job in the world where that's like a standard thing. And that shit hurts. Like, you know, I'm probably at a stage at the moment where emotionally I don't know if I can go to another funeral whether it's family or a veteran or it sort of, it, it rocks me and it'll rock me for like a three week period or so after where I'll just, that's survivor's guilt and, you know, um, remembering the look on, 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 on Jackie Gavin's face when we lost Luke in Afghan, like, um, you know, the look on Haley's face when we lost Tristan to suicide, the look on my mate H's, um, face and you know on his family after he took his own life on base and you know the night before he he'd only asked me to come around for a beer like that kind of guilt is stuff that is really really fucking difficult to talk about at times and and it's you know he was you know the funniest guy in the world you know got a tattoo on his groin with an arrow saying eat me like <laughs> That was, a, that was the type of larrikin that H.E. was, you know. Um, he was meant to be the MC at my wedding, like, a couple of weeks later. Like, you, it's this sort of shit that we don't see. And it's, it's such a fucking annoying thing when someone goes, yeah, but you knew what you were signing up for. Um, that's like saying everything that in your life that happens that's bad. You know, you've lived your life, you should have seen it coming. Like, it, it doesn't check out. Like, um... Yeah, recruitment's got a, a funny spin on things. I wanted it? to ask you that. Thanks for sharing, man. Thank you. Like, how do you guys, with the trauma that you've dealt with, with the, uh, you know, getting to this point, finding mechanisms to, to stay healthy and to stay positive as best you can, how do you reflect on your, your decision to s sign up, you know, to sacrifice your life for whatever the greater good was, whatever the message was. Like, have you, have you met 
the younger you on the day that you were walking in, what would you say? I'd do it all again. Yeah. I'd definitely 100% do it all again. I've no regrets. Uh, it's an outstanding career choice. And, and it's just so you have so much pride that you get to wear the Australian national flag on your arm and represent us. And, and you know, you just have to be a good human and you will be a successful soldier. Um, you know, and is there, there are, room for that? No, yeah, is there room, there is in, room in the army to be human, or are you actually sort of you know drilled to be a, a machine, a cog in a machine? It's a bit of both. Yeah, like it's a bit of both. It's a balance, and I think when you, as you progress through your military career, you develop maturity. Um, oh, for any job, you know, like you, the more time you spend in any job, like you're going to become more wise about what's going on, and and you know you get better and you you achieve recognition. It's it's a very similar analogy to uh, uh, something that we... People say, why do you want to go overseas? It's like uh, training with a professional sports team and never getting to play a game with them. You know, that's, that's how we kind of describe the want to go overseas and the want to deploy and want to be... You know, we're in a very alpha-type job when we're in the military. Like, we're big dogs. So like, you know, it was that sort of macho mentality and the want to be the best version of yourself, not for yourself, but for the guy or girl next to you. Like that was what you worked for, um, you know, and that's a hard thing to separate for and try and explain to people that don't do that type of job. Um, very unique. But going back to that human um, question, yeah, you can. And, you know, a great example that I like to use is um, one of my soldiers was killed on the 24th of August, 2010, um, after a three-hour firefight, um, once the fight had finished, like we'd all been hooking in that day pretty hard. Um, you know, most of us that had given CPR obviously um, wasn't a success. Um, but once we got him out of there, we had to go back, clean up his room. My job at that time, I was a sergeant, um, was to in- inventory his gear. Um, and he lived, or he shared a room with two other guys, two of his mates. So you know, the human factor had to. I had to be that stand-up guy that leader but at the same time apply the human factor so you know i was exhausted myself um still had dirt in my teeth it was a pretty big day um and drank or eaten but i had to get those boys out of the room so i could go through his stuff and inventory everything so um you know that is just the human factor i had to be the human but also i had to be the leader so you know if you can um recognize the that time to be the human and that that was the example i'd use um you know and it, it wasn't being that hardened person like boy you pack his fucking shit up inventory i had to be the human and because i had to look after them and you know because the you know they're my soldiers i had to look after them what well, nate actually means is he had to go through the mate's porn uh, yeah, collection yeah, yeah. and yeah, uh, good, make sure good, it's all deleted yeah yeah i had to do a bit of vetting yeah <laughs> yep <laughs> Yeah, this might be naive. It's a, it's a big picture thing. I mean, I, I don't have the, the experience to really talk about this, but I mean, have we reached a point in human evolution where militaries could be deployed to, you know, build infrastructure instead of blow it up? Well, and drop aid instead of dropping bombs. 
Well, that, that's been the intent um, without going into the political part of it. Um, one of our missions was to reconstruct and rebuild, and that's what we did in Afghanistan. We went over there, we started reconstructing, then we started rebuilding, and then we started training their defense force you know, and getting them to stand on their own two feet. And subsequently, it hasn't really worked, has it? But, you know, like I said, I don't get too wrapped up about it. Um, you know, we lost some ground over there. Um, you know, we've lost soldiers. They've bled, you know, on that dirt. And that dirt now belongs, it's back to the Taliban. So, you know, we can't get emotional about it. Um, it's, it's just the nature of the gig. Um, but, yeah, hopefully we... You know, we're doing a lot more domestically now, like all the floods and fires that have been happening. That's where our defence force, and during COVID, you know, who was standing at the hotels? They're all soldiers. And, you know, I joined the army in 2000, so it was a great time because we were bouncing from operation to operation, you know, country to country. And so I was lucky, you know, just going straight from Timor, boom, Afghan, you know, Iraq. I was just going from one country to the other and at the same time maintaining a family and everything else at home. So, um, yeah, but now it's a different time. Um, most soldiers are just helping out domestically. And I think that's where a lot of our effort needs to be. Let's look at the home. Um, Fucking earth, yeah, man. I let's mean, look at look, the home. It's our money, you know. Yeah. We're, 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 we're spending this money on, on the military. It's, it's all taxpayer funded. Um, I had the, the great pleasure of working alongside um, the military during the, the flood relief uh, down there at Wardell, you know. Fucking just working with the toughest chicks in the game just like oh you need a hand of that wheelbarrow they fucking laughed in my face dude just like what are you gonna do stick man um yeah yeah, that was such a great experience and i 100 percent um agree i think yeah it's such a a a great experience to work with you know these salt of the earth hardened um you know well-trained personnel in, in a compassionate a compassionate way and a compassionate field and i think that is the future um you know i, I hope it is anyway because uh yeah I'm, I'm sick of war man but you know, and violence and all of it but yeah lads uh i think on behalf of everyone thanks very much for your service thanks very much for coming and sharing your stories today and uh it's just been a real thrill to have you guys here and uh and sharing in the you know, some of the tools that maybe you can take back to the veterans if you're not using them already. I'm sure you probably are. But, you know, every little thing that has happened this weekend, I've been pretty amazed, you know, even if I thought I knew, like, I mean, even just the dancing, you know, getting involved in that and just freeing up the body and feeling like I was entering a new space. It all helps. And, um, yeah, I hope it helps you guys as uh, the veteran hurt. surfers keeps yeah. ploughing onward. Thank you so much, boys. Thank you so much. I love you, lads. It's been so good to connect with us. Oh, might cop to the stage. Uh, a couple, one of the, the absolute patron saints of resilience, uh, a big wave maniac up there with the absolute best of them, Ollie Dossett. I don't know how, if that's how you say your last name, but... Uh. Never pronounced it right once. And uh, we're talking solutions here too. So we'll get Vinny up. He's the permaculturist. Uh, knows a thing or two about growing herb. Herbs. Hey, uh, thanks for the kombucha store, boys. That went real well over the weekend. I, uh, what was that one you gave me? Jalapeno margarita. Oh, and what about that? Uh, there's this other cut with the, the digestive elixir. What was that thing called? I've got to shout that thing out. 
The mermaid. Crystal mermaid. Oh my diamond lord. Mermaid. The diamond mermaid digestive elixir. Wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, tap in. I mean, this will obviously be going out as a podcast listened to by, I don't know, ten to 20,000 people. So if you're listening, tap in to the mermaid elixir. It's been keeping us fueled for the waffle throughout this wellness summit. Ollie and Vinny, welcome to the program. It's a pleasure to have yeah, you boys. here. Thanks so much. Thank you. Woo. Uh, where to start with this? I mean, we'll start with you, Ollie. Uh, I mean, you are an absolute beast of uh, a force of nature, a beast in the water, um, and a, a beacon of resilience, mate. Um, do you just want to share your story? I, I don't know where you want to start with it, mate. I'll, I'll just leave it all up to you. Sure, thanks, mate. Big prop to the lads for that last segment. That was really, really intense. So thank you very much. Hats off. So my story, pretty much, I grew up surfing around Long Reef, um, had some really strong mentors, and um, I, re I really enjoyed pushing myself in the big wave scene, mainly because I grew up surfing as a bodyboarder, and I transitioned a, a little bit too late to be at the elite level, you know? So, like, I kind of got up to North Narrabeen, and everyone be like, who's this kid? Like, get out. You're not welcome here, mate. <laughs> you weren't so, the only one. <laughs> and... And I'm glad Laura's not here because, you know, that, that was 15 years ago when it was kind of gnarly, you know, and like my mum had no idea what she was doing when she was dropping me off at the car park and I was just like going out to get yelled at by grown men. So like I kind of took that back to my home turf and as I started to transition and surfing some of these slabs and reefies with, you know, Matt Chinoski and Matt Granger and those those local lads, I started thinking, well, it's exactly the same as a bodyboard. You just got to paddle hard and get to your feet and pull in. Simple. <laughs> so I, I, started, I started going down the tracks of like, well, how can, I, how can I pursue this? And I started going overseas and traveling around the world and realizing you go and have heaps of fun overseas, but there's nothing, there's nothing holding you to that to sustain it. So... Throughout my university, I was thinking, how can I, how can I do, how can I surf and have fun full time? Like, wh what's, where's the access? <laughs> where's the, where's the key that's going to allow the freedom? And at the time, um, one of my really good mentors, since passed away, Alex Duncan, was working fly and fly out abseiling. So he was flying out to the offshore facilities and uh, doing a lot of rescue work and doing um. Pretty much just climbing on ropes, having heaps of fun, eating the best food ever, a bunch of above a bunch of sharks and fish in the middle of the ocean. So that's kind of where my story ends and my new life begins. So I, I transgress through like probably five to six years of abseiling to get to the pinnacle of this industry where I was working two weeks on, two weeks off, making pretty sick money, getting cooked amazing meals by the best chefs in the business and in my two weeks off I'd go over to Indo and not tell anyone that I was going over to the other islands and getting the longest left-hand tubes in the world <laughs> well played so I kind of 
totally disconnected from social media. I really didn't really tell anyone what I was doing and I was just linked up with his awesome crew over there and we'd, we'd kind of hang out around the bucket and just just wait for swells. And as soon as the swells came, we'd pack our scooters up and we'd just drive all night and get to these crazy waves that we didn't even know existed really. Like we, we thought South Narrabeen was a good barrel, you know. One in a hundred, you might come out if you're Tom Carroll, but us, us other punters, we're struggling to find that doggy door, you know. And um, I just so happened to get quite unlucky, or if Dane would say extremely lucky. <laughs> Thanks, Dane. One night I was coming, I was coming home from a mate's gig, and I I left the gig early because I knew it was going to be ten foot in the morning, and Essentially, I was on my scooter coming around a corner and there was a cement truck coming at me on my side of the street and I had really nowhere to go. And I just thought, oh, here we go. It's about to happen, dude. And I just remember just just bracing and just the next minute I'm upside down underneath the cement truck as it pops over me. I'm kind of protected from my scooter. And it was surprising about how focused I was and how present I was in that moment because I had no other choice. And I don't know if it was my training and surfing with like my whole life being being dialed into those moments or if it was my training working in the oil and gas industry where they're giving you the worst case scenario. You know, you had to you had to be able to be to think about the worst case scenario and act accordingly to save yourself, the others, the entire plant, you know. And for me in that moment, that clarity was so intense that it's hard to describe. And I, I remember just I remember standing up off the ground and literally my leg was just snapped, had compound fracture both both my tibia and my fibula were hanging off my leg and my calf muscle was just kind of ripped and torn. And I just knew like in that moment I had to get going and get to work. So I essentially ripped my shoelaces off, tied a tourniquet, was trying to instruct other people how to help me and I was looking around and pretty much everyone was just so fried they had no idea what to do. And it was really just me helping me. And I think in that moment, like, the true, your true power is always within you. And it, even though you don't know it, you can always access it. So that was pretty hectic. Um, I was very fortunate that a bluebird taxi driver was there and um, he was pretty much the dude that saved my life. I ended up jumping in this guy's taxi and we raced off to BIMC Hospital, BMC Hospital. And it was really just like a feat of determination just to not die in that car. I was just losing so much blood. I could really feel my life draining out of me. And I ended up, spinning upside down and putting my legs on top of the headrest and I had my, my head in the footwell just really just trying to hold my leg together like it was really just my 
yeah, I was really losing a lot of blood. It's pretty hectic. Fast forward 20 minutes, got to the hospital, got dragged inside, smearing blood across the floor. And the first thing they asked me is like, do you have a credit card? <laughs> I had to pay like, not something mega, like a $13,000 deposit before they would even take me into surgery and book, book, book the surgeon. <laughs> So that was that was the first of many financial sagas that ended up getting me back to Australia. Um, pretty expensive Uber ride that I had to charter with a couple of medics on the plane that cost me heaps of money. I think like the first hospital was something like forty-seven grand, and the second hospital was like something similar. And they wouldn't let me leave until I paid the money. And I, I remember reflecting on this moment a few weeks later when I was in Perth, stabilised with my old man. And I said, dude, I can't believe I just lost like 100 grand. Like, this is so fucked up. Like, I can't believe I just traded my blood, sweat and tears for that money working on a gas plant. Just didn't have nothing to show for it. And he looked at me and he said, yeah, but you got your life, mate. And at that point, like, it honestly meant nothing to me. Just just knowing that, like, and the boys overseas would know, like, the time that you spend on those facilities, like, you're working 12-hour shifts, sleeping next to the same dude you're working with, back-to-back, 26 days straight, no days off, you build a sense of, you know, a, a com- you're really in a deep community of people who 100% have your back. And I remember thinking in the hospital bed, like, I can't, I can't do that. I, I can't go back to these facilities and, and, and live my life and be a, be a team member to these, these, this crew. So f- for me, like, that was one of the hardest things, really. Like, being able to integrate back into society, but also, like, trying to financially, like, keep myself afloat. Like, I'd spent so much time building this career and I really had no idea how to make money any other way. It's pretty. That was that was probably the, one of the biggest hurdles that I had to overcome in my own mind. Of like, what's next? Like, what what am I gonna set myself up to do that's gonna allow me to pursue that and to continue moving forward? Because if you don't have that goalpost or you don't have that strategic vision of and it doesn't have to be a true north like 10 years down the track. But if you don't have something you're working towards next week or next month, when you're faced with something so large as like not being able to walk and not being able to work and not being able to provide for those around you, like it's pretty hectic. Like you're really stripped back t- to nothing. And I think for me, like I was just really fortunate to have people around me um that gave me this space and even just the the honestly even just the messages of support really pulled me through you know like had hundreds and hundreds of people messaging me being like you're gonna do this mate you're gonna come back and i just remember sitting in the hospital like writing back to these people i'm coming back stronger than ever i'm gonna start surfing again you know and I didn't believe it. Had 
I like I was like I'm never surfing again. That's it. I'm I'm done. I'm over. And I just kept riding it, and riding it, and riding it. And after like you know the couple hundredth time that I've written it down, like each individual message is someone's pouring out their heart of an experience they've shared with me in their past. I really started to believe it. And it was it was in that belief that really gave me the motivation to strive. Not not for like anything crazy, just to just to get back out in the ocean and and really just be out there with the crew, you know? And hats off to Matt Granger, really like he pretty much had like an entire gym facility that before it like turned into what it is today. And I just spent like, like all day, every day at that gym, just, just getting through it. Like not necessarily going hard, but like always just moving around, moving the body, lifting something, doing something. And I think it was that time in solitude and that time with your own body and that physical exercise that really, it's really the, the secret key. If you, can, if you can just show up consistently day after day and like do something for your body, it doesn't really matter what else is going on in your life. If you can have that commitment to yourself, you're going to find your own true power. Yeah. When did that power kick in for you, mate? Like, I know that you said the message is support. You got that sense of belief and strength. When did you start to feel like you were getting over the hump and that, you know, these things that might have seemed impossible were going to start coming back into your life? I mean, physically, I, was, I, I had such a rock-hard mindset from the get-go. Like, I, maybe like, maybe like a month maybe it took me like a month to really be like yeah i believe it the first four months i was really just struggling to survive like i really should have died a few times like i was stuck in an earthquake in bali um i really shouldn't have even survived the infection to be honest like the first six months of like having your leg chopped off is pretty gnarly like it's not something you really forget about so much pain so much nerve pain like really not a lot of sleeping like i didn't do a lot of sleeping the first six months it's pretty hectic I think the big turning point for me was the very first time I surfed back out at my local bommie at Long Reef. Um, and I was right, I think I was riding like a 10, 10 2 or a 10 6, never in the board before. And I, I remember like just, and it wasn't mega, it was kind of like a day where it was like just capping on the outside reef, maybe like eight, eight footers, but, but big enough to break it like where it doesn't usually break, if that makes sense. So, like, Tommy knows where I'm talking about. And um, I remember just chipping into one and I was in the perfect spot and I was right behind the peak and I just remember coming right around the section and pulling up into the wave and I just rode it so perfectly. And I started thinking, like, dude, I can do this. Like, if I just ride big boards, like, I can, de- I can definitely do this. So I just started changing my focus because, like... So, riding short boards is so hard to do. Like, if you haven't been doing it forever, 
or you don't have a back foot and an ankle. You need that. You need the motion of your ankle to actually drive the thruster and to change directions and stuff. So I kept trying to surf these small boards and like I realized I couldn't turn them and I was just so angry. Like I was so frustrated. Like something that I used to do at quite a, quite a high level, I just could no longer do it. And f- for me, that regression was, was really quite difficult. Um, but yeah, I think taking time away from surfing was probably the best thing for me. I just like totally stopped. I found a couple other things. I started paragliding. I started taught myself how to kayak because I thought I could just like make money doing that. So I did that for a bit, trained with the New South Wales Institute of Sport for six months. That was really hectic, just showing up day after day like I really did not have the skill set to be with these elite professional athletes like I've come from a lot of like almost semi-professional sport in the past like played world championship ultimate frisbee and stuff so I, I knew how to train I knew how to like play like high level sports and have the mentality and the mindset and the, the gym but like dude kayaking is so fucking hard holy shit I just like I called up the Australian coach and I was like hey mate so like 20, 2020 Tokyo Olympics is happening. Like, I want to, I want a spot in the team. And he's like, "Yeah, well, have you ever been in a boat before, dude?" <laughs> I was like, "Nah, but it, I'm a surfer. It can't be that hard." He's like, "Well, go get a boat and then give us a call after you fucking <laughs> know how to paddle a bit." Anyway, so I called him three months later. I was like, "Yeah, taught myself how to paddle, mate. I'm ready for the squad. Like, let's go." <laughs> yeah. Didn't see any Olympics. Nah, like essentially, like there's a there's a there's another guy. He's real fucking good. I got <laughs> nah. I got a bit of a bum steer. Um, a, a beautiful ex Olympian, Kathleen. She's like, yeah, all you got to do is be top two and you can go. And I'm like, sick, I can do that. I was like looking up everyone's times and like Dylan. Shout out to Dylan, mate. This guy's amazing. He paddles about a 41. So essentially what I'm doing is sprint kayaking, um, K1, and the boat's like super tippy, like really hard. Like if you don't have a paddle in the water, you're going to fall out pretty much. And the second guy was probably had like a 48 seconds or some shit. And I was like, oh, I don't even have to beat the best guy. I just got to be like the second best. So I started doing that for six months. And then they're like, yeah, you can go to world championships, but we're not taking you to the Olympics because we're only taking one athlete. And I was like, well, I don't want to do it. I don't want to go. And it was kind of around this same time that like the bombies really started to fire up and Steve Wall gave us a message and was like, hey, this we're going to go surf this slab, dude. It's going to be pretty good. Like you're just going to ride your gun and just chip in behind it. I was like, yes, yeah, sweet. I'll see you there. And it was really after that session, I hadn't really been surfing at all just because I hated it. I started realizing like, oh, like surfing the guns is really feasible, you know? And like I spent years surfing with TC out the back and been riding beautiful Kirk Bjerks pretty much since I've been like 18 or 19 years old. So I really had like an understanding of like how the boards work and like what you actually need to do to surf them properly. So I think that knowledge really set me off into a good trajectory to, to get into these waves. And... 
I got completely lit up on those that first session there. Holy shit, fucking hell! Like I'd like get to the bottom of these waves, and then I'd just like go to engage my fins, and like my like leg wouldn't be there. I'd just like come off body surfing and like body surf these. 10 foot crazy Like the tubes are like As big as this place Still getting the vision brother You're getting the fucking vision Big vision But yeah Like coming back to your question Sorry I got a little sidetracked Um, I think for me After spending six months In the boat Of just like Showing up Putting it in day after day Like I I ended up Getting pretty close to this guy And um, I just started asking myself Like Do I really enjoy this? Like what do I really want to do? Like, what what is it that I that really calls to me? And I, I started realizing, like, if I just put the same amount of time, focus, dedication and energy into the kayaking, into something else, something that I'm actually already really good at, I've been doing my whole life, I could probably be really good at it. So then I just started focusing all my energy into surfing big waves. And I guess, like, it was probably after the kayaking that I kind of really knew that, all right, sweet. This is this is actually feasible. This is actually gonna gonna work out. Yeah. And the amount of joy that brought to your life when you when you switch that uh, focus onto surfing and and the barrels that you've had, you know, since losing your leg, mate. I mean, fucking. There's only a handful of people in the world who have seen what you've seen. Yeah. Like honestly, I I don't think like surfing with two legs is pretty easy. Surfing one leg is like pretty hard, eh? Yeah, and yet it's wild, mate. I mean, I, I got the privilege to share a, a session with you at a, a really technical slab. wasn't really big or anything, but to see you whipping eight around and, and, and pig-dogging waves that I didn't want to have a sniff out was fucking remarkable, man. Like, you're technically uh, so gifted that you're still surfing better than most able-bodied people, mate. So that's, uh, that's something. And you're getting the fucking vision too, brother. Fuck yeah. It's all that matters, mate. Thanks so much, Yeti. Stack the pineal with the Thanks, vision. Bro. <laughs> Thanks, bro. Thanks, <laughs> bro. Fuck, that's a yeah. wild story. Yeah, off. thanks heaps. So good to have you on the show, man. Um, Vinny's veggies. Fuck yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> fuck yeah, Vinny. I, like, physical Two. tasks is a, a big part of your resilience. I yeah. love that message, yeah. man. I think that is such a powerful message. Yeah. Uh, you know, get up and rip in, and you rip in with a crew, whether it's uh, Dano and the Big Lock or, yeah. or, or Matty Granger down at the Surfers Gym. Yeah. I think that's an absolute bedrock of. Good mental health and resilience is 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 ripping in physically, working the body. I always recommend working the mind as hard as you work the body. Train the mind, train the body. Yeah. Um, another huge solution to trauma in the scientific literature, as it turns out, is growing your own food. Fuck yeah. Permaculture, uh, underrated, underrated for its healing benefits. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, Vinny is a. Uh, it's what you you've studied. Um, was yep. it sim? Permaculture and sim, what's it called? Syntropic agroforestry. Yeah, man. Horticulture. Yeah. Soil microbiology. (laughs) You got to, yeah, I guess you kind of, when you start, you start to realize, like start learning something, you start to realize you need to know kind of everything. (laughs) And so you're on a, you got to just keep learning forever. Um, You can't really just stop after you like learn what tomatoes are and yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Geology is important, ecology, everything's related. So, yeah, you can't, yeah, it's just trying to learn everything like that. What, what, 
first drew your interest to this world, Vinny? Um, yeah, so I guess as, um, if you, we went the long, longest story, I was thinking after hearing everyone tells a bit of a longer story. Um, <laughs> I, uh, the time, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess I started surfing and I was always um, kind of pursuing that because um, I guess didn't want to be working that five days a week like what my parents did and what they told me I needed to do and so I just kind of uh, loved surfing and and followed that followed that chased it chased it and wherever it took me because I thought that was like I felt good and that and but really I think I eventually realized it was more just like having more time and not pursuing not just doing something I didn't necessarily want to do five days a week just for the sake of, um, you know, getting money and like to put food on the table. And then all of a sudden you start to kind of realize like, oh, maybe like I wasn't, I don't make a lot of money out of surfing or anything. I was like, how can I, um, you know, not work (laughs) 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 and still like, how can I just like do things that I like and not work? And it was yeah, so it's a similar thing. But I started to realize, or at least, or or, or, or work in a, a more productive way, yeah. like work in a way that's actually nourishing to people and the planet, as yeah. opposed to feeding some fucking billionaires exactly. bottom dollar. Yeah, so I'm like, you're trying to think like, okay, like you got to put food on the table. I've been thinking that's a funny thing, you know, go to work, put food on the table, but you work, live in live in the city and work in the 30th floor where's where's the food you're getting kfc on the way home to feed your kids like that's there's nothing and then you're just working working to pay off expenses like and and then we all have to go on a holiday but like i think i want to realize i try to live every day a bit more like a holiday don't don't you don't need an escape so that was when i was like oh yeah i suck growing food i moved into ellis's and bo's old place and there's an abandoned veggie patch i was like get this going this will be fucking easy you know brainer like (laughs) and um got some broccoli seedlings and they actually worked and i was like too easy so (laughs) this is easy and um but then after that i realized it's a lot harder and you you know and you sift through all the shit and you're trying to like read in all these forums and we'll listen to podcasts and and it was kind of like they're trying to sell you even more. Like it, it ended, ends up being more expensive than, you know, buying your cheap, fucking chemical fuel veggies from Aldi or whatever. So like, you know, like what? There's got to be a way. Like shit grows. You know, shit grows here. Everyone's like, oh, you couldn't grow stuff on a sandy beach. You know, but here we are. Here, look around. There's trees everywhere. And so that's kind of when I found permaculture and started to find more natural. Um, growing methods that mimic nature and it's really actually quite simple like the more you learn you're like oh that makes sense like and it's a bit of a training yourself um, to think differently instead of being like oh yeah I've got to like it's got to be neat and it's got to be this and it's got to be that and like the lawn should be mowed and it should be grass here and and campers are weeds there and everything's you know but like when you just change your mindset and let things grow, you know, often people are ripping out edible weeds to try and grow some, le- some lettuce that is sad because they because ha- the soil's poor, you know, like so you just skip around it and you're like, oh, I'll just eat those edible weeds instead. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is easy, <laughs> um, you know, like, so, and so it's just changing that mindset. And, um, and I think started, started to notice like 
when you if you can start if everyone could start to do things like that you get more time and 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 that like um starts to feed that mental health thing you don't need those holidays and you um yeah i don't know you will continue on <laughs> well understanding i guess contributing and understanding this natural world and reconnecting yeah. with it on a real like you know like fingers in the soil kind of relationship you yeah. know and then with what you learn you're also learning about the entire biodiversity of of just your own little patch yeah. and how important it is to keep that natural keep it healthy and that yeah. gives you a much bigger picture of like what the state the world is in yeah. and why it's in chaos so can you give us a bit of an idea about sort of like when you started to tap into that next sphere of knowledge past the broccoli yeah. <laughs> where you started to go fuck all right and and that learning you know gained momentum and you were yeah. like fuck i gotta get more of this into me yeah 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 well i guess um Probably starting to understand like natural succession of plants and um, I think that kind of like pivoted over and then like also the relationship between everything in the world, how the, you know, the trees rely on the fungi and the fungi rely on the trees for the sugars and yeah. And then the, you know, the, it goes to, like as small as the microbiology to like the trees affecting rainfall and the rainfall affecting the trees you know everything is symbiotic not even between organisms between rocks and the weather and us and i think um as humans we've started to step away from that a lot and it's just caused um so like much trouble we're like it's just fucked us up as soon as we started to not return like and and so like you can think of it in your garden like you've got to return you can't just take 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 you got to give it back you got to compost throw your veggie scraps back in and but it's also on a huge like on a huge scale we we just started to take and um and not, and that doesn't work and and i think um like it's leading to a lot of the other bigger world problems obviously and so just by trying to mimic nature a little bit more and and work with it instead of against it I think we can have a lot more time and that's like a huge thing. Like Kate, my partner, is just about to finish psychotherapy degree, shout outs. Um, and it's been um, just crazy, her studying what she's studying and then me just like reading every book I can on e ecology or, you know, um, Aboriginal Australians and how they worked with nature and not against and then like syntropic agroforestry and biology all these other th like just every book and audio book i can read trying to learn that and then kate and i are having these conversations or you see these parallels between like um the problems in um human society and the problems in you know conventional agriculture and monocultures of mass fields of corn and disease like and there's just all these like metaphors that were just like so accurate and yeah you were men mentioning Gabe Mate the other day um just before and um and how like he just talks about how like the trauma the trauma like separation between your like those relationships between people like whether it's your parents or you know just like relationships how important they are and I think that it's obviously so important between humans. It's also important between our, like us and our environment and, and everything around it. And then creating that biodiversity to, 
you know, just being surrounded by more, your gut biome and everything. And, and then having that time to start to like, yeah, sorry. Do you know Got no, so, much, so much for thought. It's, just oh, man, it, it's, it's hard to articulate. It, it, there's a lot. It, it's a yeah. complex topic. I mean, a lot of what we've heard today uh, from Benny and Nath, uh, especially, is, you know, this, this idea of having your tribe and having a mission. And, and these are almost like fundamental human needs. And I feel like we're at a point now and, and we're going to, I guess, try and facilitate this through this summit and through our podcast. We're going to set up a, a Patreon and, and some fellowships and like just some, some ideas will come out of this. But, you know, that tribe could be all around growing your own food and that's the mission. And, you know, we mm. come together as a working cooperative to cultivate land and uh, grow food and, and I guess that that ticks a couple boxes. It's like, you know, the, the permaculture for me, like I, I, I basically have found my way into it the same way. You have got the broccoli seeds. Gaia gives you, the, you know, the, the beginner's luck and you're like, oh, fuck, this is easy. Got a few pumpkins, got a bit of broccoli and then um, you're away, you're in. Um, and one of the most satisfying things about that was just feeling a part of this cycle. You yeah. know, like, fuck, man, lying in bed one night after you've uh, fully composted your lanes and you, you've got the, the hay on top of that and it's just all just mixing together. And it, it's such a a cosmic feeling of, of connection that, you know, you kind of get from psilocybin and, and some of these other uh, plant compounds, but without in actually ingesting them, it was a similar sensation. Um, to, to come together as a cooperative and, and cultivate our own food, uh, I feel like that is a huge, a huge potential solution for a lot yeah, of problems. Definitely. Uh, yeah, and, and it's it's scientifically proven. It's in that book, Lost Connection, that I was reading from yesterday. That you know they've they've taken this program more or less to, to inner city communities in Europe, mm. um, and and treated you know acute mental illness with it getting people together, growing, um, you know, just little inner city garden patches and stuff like that. And yeah, yeah. hopefully we can begin to move towards that, um, whether the government will fund that or, or we'll just have to pull our own resources to fund that yeah. one way or another. I think it's, it's where we need to head. Yeah. And even like just, yeah, community gardening and stuff. And even just starting out in your own like backyard, just throwing it, like growing your own rocket, you know, start composting a bit better. Like... Easy, just like getting some herbs, getting some easy growing things like rocket and, you know, just things that you eat every day. And, um, and also like a big tip would be like looking at your local area and seeing what grows well, what, um, what already grows wild. Just start, just start learning and, and looking and research and reading books, talking to people because there's a good fat chance that there's a whole bunch of edible stuff growing in your backyard right now. And just starting to use that and mimic that. And if everyone's, everyone starts just doing a little bit like that, you start all of a sudden you're taking a step against the, the, the big corporations and you and you got, oh, I've got fucking excess pumpkins. And, you know, like we got our friends that are coming around. They've got all these duck eggs and like, oh, don't go home without all these mouse melons. And, you know, like you, you start yes, to, bro. all of a sudden exactly. money exactly. is becoming less of a thing. Exactly, and, man. And yeah. then you start to take... If you can, like, if we could start to be like, oh, I'm just going to take off like an extra day a week and like spend a bit more time in the garden, and then and you, you just start like, it's just that connection to nature, and and you're not. So if you're growing your own food, someone's not growing it for you, and if someone's growing 
food for you that's in the supermarket they're they don't it on not in a good way for the planet oh, like for sure you know like you can not eat meat or whatever but then like your soybean fields are killing more organisms probably i don't know i'm not going to get into all those politics but when you're in your backyard and growing growing stuff in a sustainable organic way like it's so good for you it's you you get this deeper connection to nature you know noticing all these different things and it's beneficial like all these things that when they're on a big scale they're detrimental to the planet but when you scale it back into smaller community you know family tiny scales it's so beneficial you know like um like it's just like anything a big field of corn a big concrete jungle city that where all the water runs off and floods and blah 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 like you know when you can step back and do things on a smaller scale and all of a sudden, you just got more time. Like, I don't know. It seems like, oh, it's so much effort to grow your own food. But now, all of a sudden, I'm like, have a day off. I'm like, shit. Was that? I don't have anything to do. Yeah. Like, it's except cra- harvest. Like, it, it ga- it gathers, I'm like, looking for stuff to do in the garden. It gathers its own, it gathers its own momentum. Yeah. And, and the, the garden ends up on autopilot for, for long periods of a time. Yeah. It's crazy. There's these little inputs of work but mate you know you compare it to say a day of laboring uh on a building site mate you, you're doing half of that like yeah. it, it's so mellow the amount of work you got to put in yeah really. and it, there's like little bits of maintenance along the way um and when you think about it like how much money would you spend in any given year on meat and produce yeah know? exactly um, you can you, oh, fucking tens of thousands of dollars so you know you could in a two-week hunt you, you or uh, uh, yeah like say maybe two two-week hunts for example you could compile enough meat to last you six months yeah a year, i'm sure goat deer kangaroo uh and then you know growing food fuck man like uh i guess the same principle applies right like yeah for, for a very small investment of time uh, you can save yourself tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, exactly. I think it, it actually adds up uh, to be much more economical to come together as cooperatives and grow food. Um, I also think that like, you know, there's a lot of people that we know who have little bits of land here and there. Uh, mm. and, and it's a matter of putting it to them. Would we be able to use your land to cultivate food? Would you be yeah, keen to be absolutely. a part of that? Um, you know, obviously we'll all eat uh, abundantly. Uh, all, all these are such achievable ideas and I think it's mm. really time to step into that space and, and realize those ideas. Yeah, and I, and I think like exactly, yeah, there's like there's just so many benefits to the financial. But I think one of the huge ones is there's like that mental health kind of side of things and like by starting to do more of that stuff, you get to be at home or parents get to spend more time with kids. Like That's what I was thinking about with the Gabe Mate stuff, like, Parents getting to spend more time with their kids at home, garden, doing things together, you know, less, oh, fuck, like I've been working all day and the kids are, I can just watch TV, you know, you know, and then that sort of stuff leads to things down the track. That, 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 that's not a healthy upbringing when there's that sort of neglect and stuff. I think like it's just setting up these environments when, when if you're, starts with growing your own food and then you're like, you know you're fermenting all your own food and the and you're working alongside you're at home you you're working with family you're working with community everyone's hanging out together rather than like being isolated and trying to individually make it to the top of whatever it is and um and i think that side of things is just there's just all these benefits and you're just doing it like, oh this is nice this is not nice. you start to say like oh 
there's frogs and birds and stuff coming back in like you know you start creating an environment you're like oh like nature's benefiting from my little patch here like this wallaby's eating my lettuce and now i'm eating this wallaby yeah exactly (laughs) the problem's the solution like (laughs) mate um it's so true that that the other benefit here like um just purely uh with your headspace your head noise that time that no one feels like they've got enough of you're spending that time giving. Like yeah. if you're in, in the natural world and you're giving back to this space, like we all know that giving is the, is the shortcut to a happy, healthy headspace. Yeah, exactly. Like that's what I was saying before. Nothing in nature doesn't like take without giving, you know. It's always taking and giving, taking and giving. And you start to work, come back around to that circular thing instead of just taking, consuming. Yeah. And then you know breaking down or or going on a holiday so that you don't break down and then that's more fossil fuels and and not really like addressing the problem everything a lot of like i think a lot of the we treat a lot of things just with a band-aid and like if you want to go back to root causes like that's where we've all it all starts to go wrong when you when you're just detached from everything like that you eat that you do it, it all yeah for me i guess like it all started like that it was like oh like i just want to be happy and have more time to do the things that i want to do without having to just work because i've been told i have to work to pay for my car to drive to work to pay for the house that i only sleep in for half the for eight hours and then i go back to work and pay for like, all this shit food yeah and you know it's funny mate, like wh- you can drive like from here to you know, through Crescent Head and the rubbish that you'll see, the litter on the side of the road is always fucking McDonald's or KFC. It's people who treat their bodies like shit, treating the earth like shit, no relationship at all and you know they're going to bed at night feeling like shit. Yeah, I used to get so sick. Like, I'd get tonsillitis every year and, um, like, just be sick all the time and, like, and I still drink and smoke ciggies and fucking, like, you know, I'm not a picture of perfect health but just by, like, eating healthier and like growing a bit of my own food and then like when i do buy food trying to buy organic food and you know like a bit fresher or locally produced which you can't always do you're fucking going down the highway and you're starving you got to get maccas or something you know like but making these small steps and just a little bit is like it's crazy i fucking don't get sick anymore like you know like it's just i feel good i feel clearer you know still get hung over too but like (laughs) um yeah, and the, in between, you know, there's a better balance. And I think if we can all try just that, a little bit of that, try to find that balance a little bit more and spend a bit more time, live every day a bit more like a holiday. It's like, yeah, it's the same thing as you're talking about breath work and like meditation and stuff. It's just another thing where you're slowing down and you're not in the rat race for a second. And and I think I like it as well as like a creative outlet is – kind of gardening it and you you're kind of working with it you know you're i like to think i'm managing the garden like it, it's doing its thing and i'm just like oh yeah just a little bit more light for this plant and a little bit more shade for this we'll grow that that way and and it's kind of a nice um like creative outlet like that too kate and i do it together and we spend time together doing it and i feel like you know like if you're like an artist or something and and 
you don't get you don't make money like <laughs> or, or you do and then everyone's like oh it's sold out like um, <laughs> but like gardening is a good way of like a creative outlet where um you can kind of keep underground but you still kind of um get a wage from it because you're getting all your free food and like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like so you're just like oh yeah like i don't get paid i don't sell out i get to just do it because i love it and I, and I actually get something out of it too. <laughs> Mate, it is such an art form. It is so creative. It is this crazy, growing, evolving, cryptic crossword. Constantly The, the more time you evolving. spend in the garden, the, the, the more you see and it becomes this, this big picture. It's, it's endless. It, yeah. It's so crazy. It's so underrated for just the, the sheer like mental gymnastics that it requires. It's yeah. so sick. And then just sitting down and admiring it at the end of the day. Okay, no, I'll be sitting there and... 20 frog mouth will come down and you know and you're just like all of a sudden you, you start to see more and you're like, oh, i wouldn't have seen that if i just fucking worked and come getting the bb gun you're aiming at it and then it eats a bug and flies off <laughs> yeah like exactly yeah yeah but yeah as well just watching shit grow man how satisfying that is that yeah that is like it's almost like a piece of you is growing you 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 get this like you, it, it's an undeniable boost that you get from seeing things that you've planted yeah. grow it's you feel it, man. It's, how weird is that? It's mm. such a profound joy. Yeah, and it's and it's easy too. Like you start to realize that everything just can take care of itself if you just change your mindset and let it be instead of being like, I've got to pull every fucking weed out of this garden. Like if you just let let it go and like you know you you start to understand the functions of things. Like weeds are just trying to repair naked land, like bare land. And you're like, oh, well, I need more mulch. Like, I'll just chop these weeds and put them down. And that's mulch. What is mulch? It's organic matter that covers the soil. And, like, I find it funny. I've done a lot of work, like, just orna ornamental gardening for people's backyards. And they're like, they'll pay me all day 45 bucks an hour to bloody pull all, all the, like, rake up leaves and pull everything out and take it to the tip and then... Uh, then go buy a trailer full of mulch and bring it and spread it all back. And I'm like, it's all there. Like, you know, <laughs> do you realize that I just got rid of all that and then brought it all back in just because it's mashed up a little bit, you know? Like, so it's these, these ideas that we, like, things have to be perfect. Like, the lawn was a, I'm pretty sure it was like, it kind of came into popularity f through, like, slaves or something, right? So the lawn. Yeah, what's the. Dude. The, the history of the front lawn is one of the most fucked up things ever. The front, the front lawn was invented by English aristocrats purely as a show of wealth to say, look, I don't have to grow food anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can buy my food. Look at you fucking dumb peasants growing food <laughs> yeah. still. i got a front lawn, motherfucker. And we all follow that, don't we? we all, that's what, like, you know, we every house. all front lawns. It's a fucking... And we're not fucking aristocrats, I'm telling you, man. Yeah. We're fucking time-poor slaves. To yeah, the exactly. <laughs> Get back to the garden Start digging up those front lawns And nature strips And uh, and if the, the council comes to chop the trees down Like they did on the sunny coast In that story The, the, the council come around in, in the night And fucking chop down this street's fruit trees From the, the front lawn And no left people in tears um, Yeah, I don't know what you do That that makes me pretty mad But uh, uh, we can't let that happen either No, we've got to just keep planting and Plant more Just chuck your seeds Every time you Eat something, chuck your seeds in the ground. Like. Chuck your seeds in the ground, chuck your psilocybin mushrooms in the council water and uh, <laughs> let the plants weave their magic. Yeah, yeah. Ollie and Vinny, everybody. Great chats. Fantastic.
Thanks so much, boys. I'll uh, really appreciate you sharing your story, man. That was fucking, that was really from the heart, mate. And Vinny, you're a fucking legend, mate. Love having you down. Uh, if you're not familiar with the great man, Jake Vinny, also one of the most skits tech punt wizards in the game. Uh, so, yeah, just thought we'd mention that. He's one of the most high-end progressive surfers in yeah. the land. When he's not growing broccoli. <laughs> yeah. Before I started gardening, I did a bit more of that. <laughs> well, that's a, yeah, that's it, mate. It's that's it. it. It's fucking it's it. over. It's over. Yeah. The swellness weekend is drawing to a close. Can we get one last big fucking bash, Pooch? Yay! <laughs> if I may, I might just get Uncle Robbie back up because we can get you back up, Robbie. He lives here. He's the uh, swelling spirit shaman, clearly, and um. I just think, uh, you know, in light of the fact that we've come together, we healed in the rain, we healed on the ground, we got wet, we got cold, we, uh, we did it all and we did it all together. And I'm just, you know, I can't really express the gratitude enough for seeing you all here and, and for getting to share this weekend. It was Smithy's vision a long, long time ago and he was like, mate, imagine it. Imagine how good it'll be. And in my brain I was going... Yeah, I can kind of picture it, but it has just blown my mind being able to be here in this space with you guys for the last three days. So thank you. We will be doing it again. And Robbie, uh, I know you did such a good job of this last night, mate, but um, I just want to give you the final word from Swellness, being a, a local bloke here and uh, a fella deeply embedded in the culture uh, of the you know the traditional owners of the land here. Um, yeah, how would you like to send everyone off well, into the world? I'd like to say... Uh Thank you to both these guys here. Can we put our hands together? Also, um, brother over the back, everybody involved here, there's probably more people than I know that put this together. I couldn't imagine the amount of work. But the thing that I actually realised after this, this is the commodity. In fact, if you look at any group in this country, we should be going for government grants and moving all of us around to any fucking town because we are the light, Right? Now, these conversations should be a really national thing, and we are the group that set the precedent. So to bring this group to a few key places in the country, I think, would really be insane. So we should talk about real government grants at the, at the top, Indigenous grants the same. This is a holistic community in my books. Uh, I'm honoured to be part of it. And um, I think brother over here with the one leg, he's bullshit. We love him. And you fucked me and Tom Carroll up. I'm 56 and Tom's, I don't know, 60 or something. But and he's telling his daughter with one leg. I looked at Tom and said, he's fucked us up, Tom. We've got to go over the falls on 50 footers again. So I don't know how we're going to get down the face. But if this fucker keeps doing it, I'm definitely going to try to catch one. And we've got the garden man. Thank you. We need food. I'm going to invite you to my 44 acres and we'll grow some food. But uh, I think we can all give each other a round of applause because we all made it here. We are the new Bohemians with an open heart and we're definitely the Bohemians that share our last piece of bread. Now we know how Jesus feed ev fed everyone with just a couple of loaves, eh? Yeah, we did that here, so thanks, everybody.
kidding me? Are you kidding me? You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. You're kidding me. You're kidding me. You're kidding me, right? Are you kidding me? This guy, are you kidding me? 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 Kidding me? Kidding me? You gotta be kidding me. 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 Oh, you gotta be kidding me. 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 You gotta be kidding me, right? You gotta be kidding me. What? You gotta be kidding me. 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 Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Come on, you gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. Are you kidding me? You kidding me? You kidding me, right? Are you kidding me? You kidding me? You kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Kidding me? You kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me right now? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You fucking kidding me? Are 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 you fucking kidding me? You're fucking kidding me. Are you fucking kidding me?